Welcome to another episode of the Inspirational Chronicles. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, with another great episode. I'm just going to turn down the music because it's going to be a little bit of a longer introduction. Before I get to my guest, which is always a great one, I want to introduce Toastmasters. You may have heard me talk about it if you've heard other episodes before, but basically, Toastmasters is an international organization that was started to help people improve their communication, public speaking, and leadership skills. Basically what that means, as of someone who's been going to Toastmasters for the past three years, it is a non-for-profit educational platform where people just come in to improve their public speaking and presentation skills. And if you've ever been to a meeting or you never have, you give a speech and you receive feedback on your speech. And every speech that you do builds upon the last and helps you to improve in different areas, whether it's structure, motion, hand gestures, expression, voice fluctuation. You go through it all, and as you progress, you become a better speaker, and, and you can speak on different topics and different types of speeches. So that's basically the gist of Toastmasters. And in this episode, we feature not only a polished keynote speaker, a director of business development, an entrepreneur, but the former president of Toastmasters International himself, Jim Kakachi. And he brought with him a plethora of knowledge that I learned from and that I hope you also walk away with. As a reminder, this and all future episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And as always, thank you for listening. Why did you first join Toastmasters? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that. We tend to ask many Toastmasters that question. So I joined because I was a computer programmer. That first job was as a computer programmer. And one day, two engineers came to my desk and said, Jim, you're a pretty smart guy, but you say nothing in meetings. And that was absolutely true. I would sit in a meeting and be quiet. And once the meeting ended, I'd complain to my buddies, you know, can we, can you believe we're doing that? That doesn't make any sense. And uh, so they just told me, look, you need to have those conversations within the room if your career is going to progress. So they dragged me to St. John Toastmasters, founded in 1954, and they, uh, they got me participating. Actually, actually I, I remember I didn't say anything for the first three or four meetings. I was still very nervous to participate. But uh, that's why I joined. I was extremely afraid to speak in public. I was afraid I would say something that didn't, uh, that didn't sound very smart. And sure enough, you know, as you progress, you say things that don't sound very smart, but you learn as a speaker to laugh that off. It makes you human. The audience relates to you. You recover from it. It's not uh, life or death. So um, that was my experience beginning. That's one of the misconceptions that I really want to address because when people see, I'm sure people see you now, they just assume you're always a great speaker and like people, they, they see somebody 10, 15 speeches in and they're like, oh my God, they're so good. Mm -hmm. But you just said, the first three meetings, you didn't say a word, right? So what do you have, like, as far as your journey goes, when did you start to feel like there was a turnaround? Like, did you at first, like, dive in right away with the speeches or did it take you a while? What was your actual journey through going to Toastmasters from somebody who was didn't say a word to, mm -hmm. okay, I, I feel like I can do this? Mm -hmm. 
it was pretty quick after I guess within six months, I was educational vice president and I was doing speeches on a regular basis. You know, in the supportive environment of Toastmasters, people blossom quite quickly. But, and the key is, um, you know, you need, to, you, need to, you need to deliver the speeches, you need to participate if you're going to grow. And these days, I like to remind people, you know, look, if you want to be a strong communicator or you want to be a strong leader or strong at anything, I suppose, you need three things. You need a little bit of knowledge, you need a place to practice, and you need feedback. So when it comes to speaking, the knowledge can come from a lot of places, from books, from one-day courses, from TED Talks, from YouTube videos. You can get the knowledge in multiple places. Knowledge alone does not make you a great speaker. You need to speak. You need to drive speeches. So at the conference this weekend here in District 46, I'll be talking. I'll be encouraging people to do more, more speeches, just find topics that they're passionate about. And um, I'll give them a simple structure that they can just practice the art of speaking, organize your thoughts, and deliver it. And then the third thing you need beyond the practice is feedback. So even if you're in a place where you're, you've got an ample opportunity to practice as a teacher or a salesperson, you need somebody like a coach, a mentor, or a Toastmaster club who can say, look, these are your strengths, and here's some areas that you might want to work on to improve. So, uh, yeah, you need the knowledge, you need the, the, the place to practice, and you need the feedback. So that's what, that's what I did and it blossomed pretty quickly in the environment. And, and when did you feel like not only do I want to be a speaker, but um, you said you, you're a computer programmer, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not necessarily known for <laughs> leadership skills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank <Right>. you. <laughs> yes, and actually, um, so why uh, after I got involved in Toastmasters, it drove into the desire for other change, and I see that a lot in Toastmasters. You know, people overcome a fear of public speaking, and it's like, well, what's next? So for me, I looked at my company. It was a big telecom company. I said, sales and marketing is what drives this company. So that's where I wanted to be. So it drove me to move into sales for four years and then the rest of my career in marketing and various leadership roles. Um, so it was just through participating in the confidence that came out of overcoming that debilitating fear of uh, being afraid to speak that drove change and eventually led me to leadership. This is something that I've, I've always most curious about. Mm-hmm. When you become a leader, uh, it's a two-part question, right? When you become a leader, first of all, what did you learn about yourself as an individual, and what did you learn about people when you start leading people? Let me start with the latter part. What do you? What did I learn about people? I guess that they're, they're very related. Mm, you know, I I think that any leader when they when they're assigned a team, we can't pick our teams typically. You know, you've got a group of people that are assigned to work with you in most cases or elected to work with you. And I think it's normal, and this is, I should not assume that, but my, my process would be I'd look at the team and I'd think, you know, look, here's a third who are going to be super strong. Here's a third who are going to perform pretty well, and here's a third who seem distracted and aren't going to do, uh, do that much to contribute to the success. Uh, but I'm always wrong. You know, things happen in people's lives. Some of the people who I didn't think are going to make a big contribution make a big contribution. People who I thought would make a big contribution don't. And that's that's not a judgment on the, the people. It's just, you know, their jobs get busy, a kid gets sick, a, f- a family member gets sick, and they, they can't make a contribution. So uh, as a leader, uh, learning about people, you know, people will make contributions to the best of their abilities, and it's our job as leaders to make sure that the team succeeds regardless of the individual weaknesses. Uh, so that's a, that's a really an, an, an art. It's not a science, but you need to be assessing the capabilities and minimizing individual weaknesses to make sure that the team is successful. So what did I learn my, about myself? Be- before you, before sure. you move on, yes, uh, yes. 
is there any specific instance that you can think of where like you you found yourself because I think that's really interesting because um you know I've 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 been president of my club mm-hmm. and what fascinates me more than being a leader is actually sitting back and being able to read people mm. and and not in any judgmental way just kind of like what you said what you might get out of them and the potential that they have mm-hmm. so is there a specific instance where you were president of toast uh, of of toastmasters international or mm-hmm. or any uh, leadership position at, at work where you sat back and and kind of read the room as far as what your team was made of and and what you got specifically Yes, there's a lot of examples, and um, let me see. I guess let me let me bridge into that by I want to describe situational leadership by Ken Blanchard. Are you familiar with that that model? It, no, I'm not. L- let me explain it briefly. Yeah. So it's brilliant because it came out in the '70s or the late '60s, and he says the leader behavior needs to adapt based on the task maturity of the follower, the task maturity. So this is the the brilliance. I'll give you an example from the Toastmasters world. So, so he says, look, if, if there's low task maturity, you need to tell somebody what to do. And that's not demeaning. They've got, they've got no experience. As they grow, you sell them on their capabilities, grow their confidence. As they continue to develop, you can get them participating in higher level planning. And finally, when they're fully mature, you can delegate. And I hear far too many people say, like, my style is to delegate. Like, that that's, feels easy, but it's not a, a way to build people or to be successful in, in, in a team. So if you, I, I could give you an example from a, the Toastmasters can relate to. Uh, should I give that? Yes, yes. Okay, so yeah. give me the name of somebody who's not a Toastmaster but's a, an exceptional speaker in your view. And, and oh, like, a frame, like a famous person? Yeah, someone your listeners will know. Uh, I mean, Eric Thomas, um, he's one of the top speakers. Zig Ziglar, uh, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. Not okay. Toastmasters. So yeah. let's say Tony Robbins. So let's say Tony Robbins joined your Toastmasters club and you yeah. need to timer. What's his task maturity? I would say very excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, as a timer? Oh, as a timer. Zero. I right? guess that would, yeah, that would be. Right. So this helps to understand the, the model. So excellent speaker, but oh. task maturity as timer and Toastmaster card where you hold up a card to show how people are progressing, it would be zero. So we need to tell them what to do. Tony, have you used a stopwatch before? Tony, at one minute, put up the green card. At two minutes, the, you know, the, the two minutes, your red card, etc. We need to tell them what to do. So then as his... Next time we need to ask him, we say, Tony, you were so good at timer. You're going to be a great Toastmaster. Do you remember how that worked? I need you to do that again. So you keep on developing them. So then uh, you know, some people will just do the work to, uh, to the best of their uh, knowledge, but some people will make the move to higher level training. So, And the third level of situational leadership, you'd be saying, you know, Tony, we've got a different room set up. Uh, how, how do you think we might be able to make sure timers can see the cards and lights so they know what the progress is? So then finally, if he's fully task mature, you can say, Tony, look, we need a timer, and I haven't even seen the room. Can you go and make sure that someone can see the timing lights? So that shows you how you, someone progresses through task maturity. So, so the brilliance of Blanchard's model is you need to assess that as a leader, and that's through conversations. It can be quick conversations, but you need to assess what's the task maturity and adapt your behavior. Sometimes you need to tell them what to do. Sometimes you can delegate, but you need to make that assessment. So I can give you an example of a, a situation where, I'll just describe it generally. I was working with the Board of Trade in my city, and a friend of mine was on a committee with me, and he's always succeeded at everything he's done. And uh, so I, I delegated a task to him to set some pricing around a dinner we were going to host and to get some sponsorship money, which was critical to success. 
and uh, we ended up nearly failing it, almost becoming a disaster. And my, my error was, if I'm too familiar with someone's history, I wouldn't do that assessment. So his task maturity at what I asked him to do was very low. And I delegated. And I, I followed up, but I was asking the wrong questions. And it ended up in a situation where very late in the game, we were in a well behind the eight ball and we managed to pull it out. But it's an example from my personal life where I understood the theory, but I learned that if I'm too familiar with somebody, I wouldn't go through that exercise. That's that's amazing. I've, I've actually never heard of that model. And, mm -hmm. and I, it seems like a lot of things in life, it seems very simple when you hear it, but not knowing that you should do it as a leader and, and being able to really figure out what people can do before you assign it to them. Mm. I feel like that's a huge difference maker. Well, it goes back to what I was talking about. Look, you need a little bit of knowledge. So now I've shared some knowledge with you. Now you need to practice that. And ideally, you get some feedback as to how you made those assessments. And when we're dealing with people, there's, there's other variables at play. Uh, I've seen some really strong performers who have not performed well because of things that come up in their life. And sometimes they're uncomfortable communicating that, look, I got a sick kid or sick parent or some job struggles, but that will affect performance. So I just thought of something devil's advocate, right? Mm. Let's say you're, you're doing a, a task breakdown. What advice do you have for a leader who's, who sees somebody that has, uh, starts from zero, mm -hmm. but you don't want to offend them? Do you know how to use a stopwatch? Like, am I dumb? Like, you know, some that's right. very simple. But yes, yes. what advice do you have so that you can explain the task without necessarily insulting their intelligence? That's a great question. One of the things I like to do is I like to describe the task, and then I, I ask, you know, how how will you get started? And that tells me right then and there with their answer, uh, with a little bit of probing, what's their task maturity? Okay, so you make it almost like a question instead of... An open-ended question, right? How will, how will you begin? And if, if you get the deer in the headlight look, <laughs> well, it's like, okay, task maturity is zero. If they've shown some experience, then that means a different type of behavior. But that's an excellent question from you, and my, my question is, how will you begin your uh, assignment here? I guess I'm, I'm no longer present, but if I were to go back and then kind of redo it again, mm -hmm. I would ask people what they're, what they're comfortable doing, like what they're good at. So, for example, um, if I look back at my, my former team, I know, I'll just name a name for nobody knows, she's, Linda was very good in finance. Mm -hmm. So naturally, you know, she jumped up at the opportunity of being a treasurer. Mm -hmm. And, and if you, you ask people, you know, perhaps what they do at work, you kind of might get an idea of what they meet, what they might be good at as a Toastmaster. It, it's absolutely true, but additionally, I'd ask Linda, you know, what, what area would she like to exercise? Toastmasters is about development. So maybe Linda wants to become stronger at working with people, so VP membership, or maybe she wants to become better at communicating to the public, so VP public relations. Mm, you know, if you can tap into someone's as aspirations and give them a playground to work on those skills, that's you can get some big rewards. It's a risk if you're not going uh, relying on their traditional skills, but that's really what Toastmasters is all about, developing people. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny that you mentioned that because now when I think about Linda, she's an excellent treasurer. And again, no one knows who she is, but she only does two speeches, you know, a year. Mm -hmm. You know, but she wants to be a better speaker. Mm. Right? So there's an opportunity, right? Like mm -hmm. to kind of push her toward that and kind of get her out of her comfort zone. You bet. That's awesome. So back to uh, part B of, of uh, the question, what did you learn about yourself as a leader? 
it's an interesting question. I learned that I'm really quite strong at communicating what are our goals, why do we choose these goals, uh, what are our successes, what are the behaviors that people are exhibiting that will make us successful in the long term, and, and making sure the team knows how we're progressing. And that's important. You know, mostly as leaders develop, they think, look, I tell them once where we're going, that should be enough. Maybe I tell them twice during the year. It's not enough. It needs to be continually repeated, um, and not with repetitive words, but, but using examples that, that illustrate in a story. You know, look, here's our goal at the end of the year, or whatever the time period is. Here's the progress we made thus far. Here's somebody who's doing something that, uh, that's going to make us successful. And a subtle message of that is, you know, do like, do like Johnny. <laughs> let's, let's, let's mimic his behavior because that's going to make us successful in the long term. So if you're successful at that, then people look and say, oh, okay, that's, that's what we're working towards. I can make a contribution to that. I can mimic John, Johnny's behavior. I'd like to contribute to team success. And that's when you see people blossom. So I've learned that I'm really quite strong at communicating direction, letting people know about progress, recognizing behaviors that will make us successful, and ultimately that leads to team success in most situations. I know the answer to this, um, but I want to hear your take on it. How important is to give people credit for the things they do well? Massively, um, massively important. And, uh, and again, it's about recognizing the behaviors that will make you successful. So uh, I think with Dale Carnegie, he said, said, everybody wears a sign on, that says, make me feel important. So you need to make them, them, them feel important. And even more so if it's in the direction that the team needs to succeed. So um, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's important that people get recognized. Uh, and you need to explore as well. Like some people would prefer private recognition than public recognition, and that can be a little tricky. And sometimes you need permission to recognize them publicly. But if you tell them, look, you're doing something that's going to make this team successful in the long term, I'd like to publicly recognize you, most people will be okay with that. Yeah, I, I find that public or private, even if it's private and you just give them a handshake and tell them that, you know, how well they're doing, I feel that that goes miles because... I see it today both in industry and, and maybe sometimes not as much in, in Toastmasters because we're all very supportive, but more more in industry, there are companies where they just, like mine now, without mentioning any names, kind of mm. just focuses on what you did wrong, mm. you know, and they kind of use like a fear-based tactic on, you know, if, if, if you didn't complete your reports on time, they're going to go up on the PowerPoint at the next presentation, uh -huh. you know, and they're not... They're not doing that for the people that are doing really well, right? You know, so they'll 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 point out individuals mm -hmm. who need to improve, mm. but when things are going well, they just say everybody's doing a good job, mm -hmm. but they won't give individual recognition for things that people are doing really well, and and I just feel like that's I agree. So jumping on to from from going in the industry and, and and being at work. You consider yourself an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. and what I'm most interested in, because I feel like there's a lot of people who want to go toward that route, is what are some of the most important qualities that you have to have as someone who would essentially work for themselves, and you don't have that deadline from your boss or from a client? How do you, as an entrepreneur, motivate yourself to get things done by a certain point in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been doing a little bit of business development work with some people recently. That's been the main expression of, of that. 
I think for for myself and for most people, we need to we need to manufacture those deadlines. We need to put them in place somehow. Uh, there's a quote I always love: "Nothing makes a man more productive than the last minute." It's true. That's I mean, true. if you're going away on vacation, like, man, your days before that are just extremely effective. So somehow we need to manufacture that for ourselves, whether, uh, you know, we do, you, could be a, you could do that with a short vacation, or you could do that with some other responsibilities, but you somehow need to, um, need to get into discipline. It's interesting. I've been interested to do some writing, and, uh, and I'm not very good at that thus far. I'm not very disciplined at it, but I've been reading about some of the writers, Stephen King and... Uh, Janet Ivanovich, they've wrote, both written books about the writing process, and you know, they talk about just the discipline. It's getting up and going to work and shutting the door and uh, just writing, uh, just, just doing it in a disciplined fashion. One of the tricks that I like to play on myself is just to take a small piece of a, a task. If I'm reluctant to start, I'll allocate 15 minutes a day to do it, and I'll just begin. And the trick is, two tricks, one that keeps the momentum moving, but additionally, it, uh, sometimes two, 15 minutes turns into two hours, and it's not two hours that I begrudge. It's two hours because I got engaged and I made some progress. So uh, tr sometimes I need to trick myself. I'm embarrassed to say. One of the things, that's, that's actually really important. One of the things, uh, tricking yourself, mm -hmm. and then um, there's nothing like the last minute, right? I found that I would schedule a speech before I had a topic or or knew what I was going to talk about. Mm -hmm. But scheduling the speech and then not canceling, right? <laughs> That's key, right? Absolutely. Not canceling. Holding yourself accountable mm. to whatever day that was, whether you're busy, like everyone is busy. Like I would be finishing my conclusion, you know, not proud to say 30 minutes before the Toastmaster meeting started. Mm -hmm. But what happened was I did 10 speeches in 10 months. Mm, very good. You know? And so you you kind of trick yourself or even if you wait to the last minute, there's no time where it's going to be like ideal. There's never a good time to do something great. You just do it. And by scheduling the speech, I force myself to speak in no, good or bad. It doesn't matter. Right. How the speech was, mm -hmm. because what you're doing is you're getting better every single time. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, for for Toastmasters, a couple of tips that I like to offer for avoiding the, the last minute crisis. But I like them to look at their projects, whether it's working with words or gestures or inspiring an audience. Just make some notes early on about, gee, what are some potential topics I could speak about? And that will plant the seed in your mind about some areas you could develop, and you'll start to round them out. Um, additionally, I like to encourage them, like, listen to themselves to the things they speak about with passion about with their friends, whether it's a sports situation or a political situation or a local issue like the things you talk with passion with your friends you can talk for 15 minutes about so to capture those things and speak about them in toastmasters and there's a model that i use whenever i'm in trouble and i need to do a speech i'll go to past present future it's a simple structure of two minutes each and past is like here's the definition of the issue present is here's where we're at today here's why uh, here's what the current situation happens to be and future is look here's some options that the community can consider or how you can make a contribution so it's a simple structure that you can wrap around any issue and you can most people can do a five to seven minute speech and it's, it's wonderful planning because in the real world outside toastmasters you know you might be required to speak at your workplace tomorrow morning and but it's on a topic you've got some familiarity with or opinion on and that just gives some structure that people can uh, can practice with.
in regard to speaking with passion, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, mm-hmm. as far as you personally, what what core messages do you like? If if somebody says, because I, I know you've spoken at a university before, but if there was no agenda, and someone says, Jim, I, I want I want you to deliver a speech to either a, a group of um, executives or, or a group of college students, and it's open ended, what do you feel most passionately about speaking? Well, first of all, I do like to turn it back to the meeting organizers to find out you know, what, what's going on with the students' lives or the executives' lives. So there's a few themes I come back to. One is the need to practice these communication skills. Second is the need to practice leadership skills. Um, a third is I do some volunteer work. I'm, I'm, I'm chair of a board of called L'Arche in my city of St. John. L'Arche works with people with intellectual disabilities. So I like to talk about that and how we see people blossom when we... Treat them, uh, treat them as friends and human beings, fellow human beings. So those are some themes that I always like to come back to. But you know, there's lots of topics that I can't speak to, but those are the common ones that I will consistently return to. And how would you adjust? Because I'm very curious about how do you adjust um, age range as far as your audience, like speaking to a group of college students versus speaking to people in the workplace that are much older. I guess I don't see that many audiences that are homogenous. I suppose university is a, 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 a different example, but I was invited to speak out at Iowa State University last March in 2017, and quite frankly, the themes just came back to the same areas, and I would, I, I guess I would say some of the questions that came from the students tell me that Clearly, they were not experienced in speaking, so people would say, well, what happens if you've got five points you want to cover off and you forget one? Well, look, the more mature you get as a speaker, it's like, look, take, take the five points out on a piece of paper. If you don't refer to it, that's fine, but there's no, it's not a crime to look at a piece of paper. You know, your, 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 your task is to deliver a message to the audience. Um, so I guess it would depend on uh, the audience, but Quite frankly, I don't make a huge adjustment. I, I, I watch the audience as I'm delivering. I see if the le- message is landing and I adapt, but I don't make any uh, any massive changes in, in preparation for those uh, situations. As somebody who would want to have speaking as a career or speaking as something in addition to what they do at work, like what advice, Like where would you point people in, in, in what direction? I'd say practice telling stories, learn your stories. And, and actually, I strongly feel we need to tell our stories to understand the true purpose. And I'll give you an example. I gave a speech at one of my Toastmaster clubs, and I thought, you know, look, I just need to kind of entertain people. I'm going to tell them about my achievement in visiting all the 30 Major League Baseball parks and uh, for the Major League Baseball teams. And I'm kind of proud and kind of embarrassed by that. So I was telling them to just entertain. And afterwards, I got three types of feedback. Some people loved baseball and thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Some people said, I love when you talk about logistics, flying into Pittsburgh in the afternoon, seeing the game, driving to Cleveland the next day, driving to Cincinnati, then driving to Atlanta in four days. That's phenomenal. So they loved the logistics. And other people loved the descriptions of another trip, uh, driving past cornfields in Illinois. So I didn't really see the benefit of that, but it taught me that, you know, look, you need to tell a story and, and get some feedback from the audience to understand the, uh, the purposes. But, but you know, find out what's unique. So practice telling those stories. There's a gentleman who had been in one of my clubs and he he hasn't renewed, but I, I think he may come back someday. But he told me he set a, a world record in 
welding in minus 40 degree temperatures in northern Alberta doing work in the oil fields. And so, so he described that. And I said, I said, Matt, you've, you've got to practice that and capture that and tell that many times to understand the true value of that. You're a world record holder in, in a situation that's just bewildering. Um, and I don't tell his story very well. He had me incredibly engaged and he was just kind of brushing it off like, yeah, it's kind of funny. It, but uh, but we, you know, we need to tell those stories, find out what's unique, what makes the audience's eyes bug out. And then capture that, realize that, and learn to learn to emphasize that, learn to turn up the volume. Most people they kind of start their speech with a story, and and that's that's talked about by many speakers, and even in in some books. Even if you're doing a presentation on finances or statistics, you kind of want to make the numbers talk, right? You kind of want to tell a story. Is that something that moving forward, if someone does a speech, should they always start with a story? My opinion, my opinion is they should always start with, look, here's the purpose. Here's what I'm speaking to you about today, and here's what I want you to get out of it. And then typically bridge into a, some sort of a story. So um, s- storytelling is key, at, um, but I'm not big on formulas other than in the business world, people want to know where's this going. Are we going to make, do, are we just informing us? Do we need to make a decision? Or you're looking for feedback? Business people want to know that, so that's my bias based on based on my training. Other than that, with the stories first, last, wherever, I'm not fussed on that. But people uh, people can figure that out for themselves. I think based on uh, their their experience and feedback. How did you go from computer programmer <laughs> to Toastmasters International President, and and why? Like what what and you wanted to get there. Yeah, it's interesting. Let me, let me, I need to think about this. So as I said, I was a computer programmer, went to Toastmasters, had success there. That drove the desire for other change. You know, now that I'm not afraid to speak in public anymore, what, what would I want to do? And I decided I wanted to move into sales and marketing. So then somebody had suggested I'd be strong as a club growth director in our Toastmasters world, which is the marketing position. So I was reluctant to do that. And personally, you know, I'm selfish with my time, and I think most people are. So I'm, if I see an opportunity, I'm assessing, can I make a contribution? Am I going to learn in that position? And is now the time for me to do that? So it took me a, a while to step into every position that I've had in Toastmasters. I'm always making that assessment about where's the best use of my time. So it was a slow growth process to me to, to move through all the positions in Toastmasters. And actually, I served on the board as a regular board member from 2002-2004 and didn't run for these senior positions until 2011. First year I lost, and second year I, I won. So uh, I was never in a, in a hurry. I'm always assessing, you know, what's, what are the options available, what are the paths I can take, what are the doors I can go through, can I make a contribution, and will I benefit from it? Was contribution your major motivation or what was your major? Because a lot of, especially now, in, for most people, Toastmasters is completely voluntary. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure like Nancy and, and anybody, district areas, directors and all, they spend a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of time. Like I remember just as a, as a club president, you know, you, I, you, I would spend a lot of time mm-hmm. worrying about my club. I can't imagine a district or an area. What drove you to want to continue down the Toastmasters path and take on responsibility that was, in a lot of cases, voluntary. It absolutely was contribution, what I thought I would learn from it uh, every every step of the way. And, you know, I will say that um, 
I'm not sure everybody appreciates this, but uh, for, but for me, I, I didn't find the roles overwhelming. There's times when, when your 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 time is consumed as an international president. There was a lot of travel, so I'd be gone for weeks at a time. The, the demands were very spurty. So sometimes it was low demands. Sometimes it's high demands. And even as a district director back in the day, uh, I didn't find it that onerous. And um, so I think it's important for people, you, know, you can spend as much time at, a, on a, at it as you like, um, but there are, uh, we talk about situation leadership, the way to engage other people and delegate appropriate tasks. Uh, I, I, I'm uncomfortable when this becomes a second job for people, um, whatever the position happens to be, uh, because we need to find a way to multi manage multiple priority priorities. You look at the most successful people in the, the world in general, the Bransons, the Robins, whoever you choose to name, they're effective at managing priorities and finding time for family and volunteer work as well as your businesses. So um, that's a that's a discipline that I think we need to keep on working working at as individuals and as Toastmasters to understand what's urgent now, what needs to be acted upon, what could I possibly delegate, what can wait, and um, you know we can't uh, be burning people out. That uh, makes me uncomfortable. You mentioned that you're going to. At the district conference that's coming up for Toastmasters, you're going to talk or encourage people to to speak more often. How are you going to do that? Like, what what advice do you have for for getting people to speak more often? And and for somebody who like wants to get better, but they're really scared, you know, and they're worried about sounding dumb or, or making a fool of themselves. Like, what do you tell them? Uh, I go back to what I mentioned previously. I'd say, listen to yourself. What do you speak about with passion? You know, Nancy and I were driving over. We're talking about self-driving cars, autonomous cars. We're talking about traffic. We're talking about people with intellectual disabilities, all potential topics. So capture those things. I've, I've got a little notebook in my pocket. I've always got a notebook, and I, I'll make a note. This is an area to talk about. And then I'd suggest as a starting point, uh, a, a structure that always works is a past present future so uh, that, that's what i will encourage people to think about so autonomous cars talk about you know how did we get to this state with automobiles and when traffic on the long island uh, expressway uh, so um, so how did we get here what's the situation so what's the what's the model today what's going on with with self-driving cars there was an accident in arizona that we talking about where someone darted out in front of the car and, and unfortunately died uh, so that's what's the current situation where's it going to be in five years ten years three years what could this mean for us so that's a structure that can work for any speech uh, for any topic where you've got some passion that's what i'll be encouraging people to think about what are your passions what do you talk about with passion to your friends put a simple structure around it like past present future deliver the speech um, it doesn't need to be perfect uh, just just exercise the skill in choosing the topic, planning it, um, deliver it in front of an audience. And the speech you plan will never be exactly what you deliver. You're going to interact with the audience and just become stronger at that skill. I completely agree because so as far as like it not, not the speech not having to be perfect, mm. let's say I rate my workouts, right, from 1 to 10. I keep a little book and I read my workouts. And... If I was feeling tired on a particular day before, I would skip a workout because I'm like, I'm too tired. It's going to be a bad workout. Like, just it's going to be a five out of 10. But I realized that after a week, if I skip three or four days, those are all zeros. 
And a five out of ten is still always better than a zero. I like that. Right? That it, it, it's because I would just look back at my book, and 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 it goes, and it, it goes to it applies to everything, speaking mm. or whatever goal you have. Mm. You know, exercise, speaking, uh, business. If you just if you don't have five hours to do something, but mm-hmm. you have one, mm-hmm. that's still better than nothing. That's still better than zero hours. Just because you didn't have the the five hours to build your website, right? Right. If you have thirty minutes to write the title, right, and, and do the first homepage, yes. that's better than not doing the website because you don't have five hours to do it in one day. And I've realized that because I've done this myself. Like I, I have my website, and and I would. Always want to do everything perfect. Mm. I would always want to do it on one day, have like one sit down. And I realized those days are far and few in between. But if you just take 30 minutes, an hour or whatever, it's still better than nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get to your ultimate goal. Yeah, and I liked it. I, I agree with you 100%. A couple of things you made me think about. Additionally, if you do that speech and it's a 5 out of 10, in the speaking world, it's really not about us as speakers. It's about the audience member. And if you had, if you touched one person with your speech and made them make a change, you inspired them in some way, that's massive rewards. So that's 10 out of 10 for one person. So you know, do, do, do those speeches. It's, it's not about the speaker. It's about the audience. And the second thing you made me think about, uh, I might speak this weekend about perfection because I've been doing some research and work on that. And a speaker friend of mine told me, you know, perfection uh, perfection just is debilitating. It stops us. It's always moving the yardsticks, to use a football analogy, right? It's never good enough. So excellence is about doing your best every time. So do your best every time. If it ends up being a 5 out of 10 in your estimation, I'll bet there's somebody in the audience who thought that was an 8 or 9 out of 10.